0: The A-League men's and women's matches at the end of this month will be a little more colourful with the announcement of the competition's first Pride round to coincide with this year's World Pride Festival in Sydney. Various sporting codes have faced blowback recently when small numbers of players have refused to wear the Pride uniform, with the resulting media storm sometimes eclipsing the event itself. The A-League's hoping its Pride round will make space for a range of views. Joining me now is Kate Gill, who is the co-CEO of the Players' Union, the PFA, a former Matildas captain and one of the highest goal scorers in the history of the Matildas. So just a real underachiever, aren't you Kate? Welcome.
1: (laughs) Thanks for the introduction and for having me.
0: Establishing an A-League Pride round didn't happen overnight. How much work have you already done on this matter ahead of this announcement?
1: Yeah, it's been about 18 months worth of work. Um, and it started in 2021 when um, Josh Cavallo came out as the first openly male footballer, gay male footballer. And he worked with his club for them to to understand and go on a journey of education. And that culminated in a, um, a double header, which was dubbed the first initial pride game in May of 2022. And And from there, um, I guess the concept really took a hold and the um, professional league's body, the APL, decided that this is um, a priority for them and they wanted to be able to um, provide that education to the the broader cohort of players involved in both our A-League men and A-League women's competition working alongside Pride Cup and Proud to Play to be able to develop those education tools and training. And... We are here. We are now. You know, 18 months later, and we're announcing the the Pride celebration, which will feature all of our A League clubs from February 24th through to um, 22nd in Australia, and then that'll move to New Zealand in, um, on March 4th. So it's um, a fantastic outcome for all involved, and it's been a lot of a lot of work, but it's been really considered and really meaningful in the lead up to all of this.
0: And it won't be compulsory for players to wear the Pride kit. Why not?
1: No, it, it's because everyone is on a journey, right? We've got to meet everyone where they are. And the first kind of mandatory part of that was education and actually hearing some live live experiences and and learning what um inclusivity is all about and accepting and making, the environment safe for LGBTI identifying people and that was really the first initial tool and then the clubs themselves were um, able to activate how they felt the players would like to activate you know some clubs have decided that they would like to wear a pride jersey some are opting for a pride armband others are just happy to to start with the education and then progress for there so as I said it's really about just meeting everybody where they're at.
0: In recent times, we've seen manly players in the NRL refuse to wear pride jerseys, as well as players from the NBL's Cairns, Titans, and, and an AFLW Giants footballer, as well. All reportedly on their own religious grounds um, that they they objected. Is that why you've made wearing the pride kit optional? Have you? Is it part of learning from those incidents?
1: It's part of understanding, really, and a lot of those incidents was about not consulting the players, and we have worked extremely hard with the players through the Players Association with Pride Cup to provide the education so the players are aware of the journey that they're on. And yes, we understand that everybody has different beliefs. You know, we've got to respect that as well. But I think once you actually break it down and you hear the statistics behind the lack of LGBTI inclusion in sport, purely because those individuals don't feel safe or welcome in that environment and it's actually the behaviour and the language that perpetuates that, them actually understanding that we're here about saving lives, you know, the suicide rate in the LGBTI community is, is far outweighs what it is for the general population. So I think it's actually understanding understanding the challenges of that cohort so then the players feel educated they understand why this is being done and then they're far more bawdy and than just you know saying to them you will be wearing a pride jersey
0: do you think there will be many players who opt out of wearing the jersey if they informed you
1: no, um, all the clubs that are opting to wear the jersey, all those players will be wearing the jersey. As I said, the the activations are differing uh, um, across the, the cohort of clubs that we have. You know, Actually, some of it's been logistical that they haven't been able to get their jerseys in time, so they'll be opting to wear a, a pride armband. They'll just be taking part in the education. Some will be activating and having pride hubs and live sites around their match day experience. So it, it is that celebration concept that everybody is at a different stage on the journey, and we've just been really respectful of that.
0: There are a lot of female football players who are out and proud and it generates usually pretty much zero news, particularly, you know, (laughs) the time that we're in now. It has in the past, but now uh, it includes some of the best players in the country, actually the world, like for instance, Sam Kerr. Why is the women's game so much more... Why are people coming out so much more in the women's game than (laughs) the men's?
1: Yeah, well, it's, we exactly a, that it's a safe haven. Yeah, it's a, it's a safe haven for those players and they under understand that the language is different, the the environment is different when you you enter into that male environment and and it is challenging because the use of actual homophobic language is what perpetuates the the lack of inclusiveness within those environments and you could bring it down to gender roles, gender stereotypes and the fact that it's hard to break down those barriers in that male environment where for the women it's, it's been a point of acceptance and they've actually found themselves in that environment. They're far more welcoming, far more inclusive, far more accepting and, and we also see that in the cohort of fans that turn up in support of the women's game as well. So the work's been done at the ground level and at grassroots there and I think that's where we need to start breaking down the barriers, having those conversations so we can start changing hearts and minds.
0: Yeah. And, and as you say, you think the A-League women's clubs are really inclusive of LGBTIQ players, but how are the A-League men's clubs going? What's your assessment of where they're at?
1: Yeah, they're on a journey. They, they really are. You know, They've been living within a culture and environment that they think is acceptable. And when you actually challenge that and challenge their thinking and you ask them, why do you need to perpetuate that kind of behaviour, that kind of language? Why does that have a common place in your change room? It's just because that's what we're known and that's what we're used to. But when you start talking to them about the effect that that has on the LGBTI community, you know, that 6% of LGBTI people participate in sport at grassroots and community levels and this is where it starts and this is where the the perpetuation happens so once we've been able to educate the clubs on that and it's not just the players it's the staff as well that sit inside those clubs it's the coaches and everybody that surrounds the club you know it's the community that you create so it's been about that education that conversation and that behavioral change piece that's paramount to all of this.
0: Saudi, just changing the topic, um, but sort of adjacent topic, uh, Saudi Arabia's tourism arm is now a sponsor of the upcoming Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. As a yep. former Matilda and as someone who's been organising a pride round for the A-League uh, to promote inclusion, what do you make of this decision?
1: Yeah, it, it's hard to really kind of grapple with how they've come to that conclusion. I understand the economics is driving this, but when you think about the actual demographic of people that is going to be promoting this sponsorship, the cohort of this group is is women. And we know in Saudi Arabia that, that women's rights aren't respected as well. They're far more regressive than what we have here, but it's also LGBTIQ plus people as well. You know, they're still persecuted in Saudi Arabia. They really have no rights. It's illegal over there. And when you think about that and the main sponsor that's going to be running for the Women's World Cup, those people that they're they're selling that sponsorship to are not welcome in Saudi Arabia.
0: Kate, thank you so much for joining us this morning.
1: Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Kate Gill is the co-CEO of the Players' Union, uh, the PFA, and a former Matildas captain. And a few people saying, what, what's the sport you're talking about? It's well known as soccer in Australia, but football internationally. And we're talking about uh, the A-League. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.